Welcome to the Smart Pacific Podcast from the PTC. Introducing more insights from ICT thought leaders in the Pacific and beyond is your host, Steve McClelland. Welcome to Smart Pacific. We're on the road in Kuala Lumpur at the Asia-Pacific Spectrum Management Conference 2019. Here, it seems, everyone needs spectrum. But with pressures so intense on allocation of spectrum worldwide, innovation has turned instead as to how to maximise what we have. Ingenious ways to share and deploy it are now under development. In the US, the Citizens Broadband Radio Service, or CBRS, as it's come to be known, is one idea that seeks to share spectrum in the 3 gigahertz band. CBRS technology is designed to support incumbents, that is, people who already have the spectrum. In the US, the US Navy has a substantial usage of this band, for example. But it's also designed to support new users in various ways. It's flexible. Experts suggest technology could be taken up by many organisations to run their own services for the first time. Campus services for vertical markets are possible, and indoor use is also practicable. Some experts are calling these ideas revolutionary. As a result, it's being keenly watched around the world. So, is this the first stage in opening up and even democratising spectrum use in the future? We caught up with Dave Wright, the president of the US-based CBRS Alliance, to find out more. We first asked him to walk us through what the CBRS aspires to do. CBRS is really a, you know, represents a revolution in how spectrum is managed. And uh, that arises from the unique situation that we have in the United States with the 150 megahertz of spectrum from 3550 to 3700 megahertz. We have some interesting incumbent operations there, including the U.S. Navy. They operate some radar systems in that range, typically offshore, but can be close to shore and potentially uh, you know, don't want to interfere with those very important military radar our systems. So there was a report in 2012 where the President's Council of Advisors on Science and Technology actually advised President Obama that we needed to look at new ways of accessing spectrum, that the traditional methods of just clearing and repurposing for for large-scale licensing don't meet all the situations and that those approaches are not going to meet the demands uh, that the nation has for spectrum going forward. And so President Obama at the time commissioned the NTIA, which is the National Telecommunications Information Agency, to uh, do a survey of the bands that were uh, allocated for federal uses and look at which bands might be prime for sharing with commercial users. And they identified uh, the spectrum range, actually 3550 to 3650, and then we tacked on another 50 megahertz at the top as well. And so that led to some studies by both NTIA and the Federal Communications Commission. And and here we are, you know, seven years later, and we're on the verge of actually operationalizing this. And because we have to work around the incumbent operations, the structure that's been put in place is really the first of its kind three-tier shared framework. And what that means is we have the incumbent operations at the high 
highest tier, tier one. And then we're introducing two new tiers of commercial service. There's what's called a priority access license tier or PAL tier. And that is uh, analogous to exclusive licensed spectrum. And what we're doing at the PAL tier is we are selling at auction exclusive rights to 10 megahertz channels within the 150 megahertz band. And those will be licensed geographically at the county level. And there's approximately 3,000 counties in the United States. But only seven of those PALs will be sold in any one geographic area. So in any county, you can only have seven PALs or 70 megahertz of the overall 150 megahertz. And then going down to the third tier, uh, at tier three, we have what's called general authorized access. And it's pretty straightforward. Any, any spectrum in an area that is not being utilized by an incumbent or by a priority access licensee at tier two is available for general authorized use. So some people will make an analogy to unlicensed spectrum, and it's imprecise, quite honestly, but it's permissive or opportunistic access. And because of that, it's really created opportunities for a range of industries. So what are you actually doing in the CBRS Alliance? As president of the CBRS Alliance, I represent 117 member companies, and that includes all of the Tier 1 mobile operators. It includes the largest cable operators. It includes cellular infrastructure vendors, but also enterprise wireless LAN vendors. It includes the largest tower companies and neutral host providers, chipset vendors, commercial property management companies, uh, universities, healthcare, hospitality. Our membership is just really reflecting the, the range of use cases and applications for CBRS Spectrum. How far does CBRS or any related ideas about spectrum management sharing or localization represent a push within the community for more flexibility and perhaps even more democratization in a sense? When I think about this, I think about what are the uh, the needs for the next era. We, at Ruckus, we've started using the term the 5G era to kind of describe the period from now through about 2030. That's my mindset anyways. And when I think about the spectrum allocation methods that are going to be needed over the next, let's call it 10 years, I fully believe that we will continue to create uh, clear and, and fine new spectrum. And we will license that the way that we always have. And we will continue to designate spectrum for unlicensed uses as well. So traditional licensing, traditional unlicensed will be critical going forward. But these new sharing frameworks, as well as some local licensing approaches that are also emerging in parallel with this, I think those are going to be critical as well. Because what, to your point, Steve, what this does is it really is the beginning of democratizing the cellular uh, technologies. So the idea that an enterprise or a hotel or a university a hospital could deploy their own LTE or 5G network to meet their internal communications needs and leverage all the benefits of an LTE waveform and very predictable and reliable spectrum, unlike unlicensed, which has really been their only recourse up to now. They can leverage it for private, you know, private cellular communications, but then potentially also open that up to the support subscribers of the mobile operators via neutral host capabilities. And of course, there are highly substantial needs at the local and even in building level, aren't there? Uh, indeed. I think that the uh, you know the principles that went into this were that we are going to need a very broad, a broad group of participants to realize the ubiquitous and dense networks that are going to be needed for the future. And that's especially true in building. Uh, we heard even here this morning and in China that 87% of cellular data is originating indoors, right? So that being the case, and we tend to use about 80% um, indoors in the U.S., that being the case, the only way that you're 
you're going to get these very dense networks of small cells, and especially in-building, which I think are absolutely required to meet the IMT 2020 goals regarding you know area capacity, latency, certainly the network density. The only way we're going to get that is if we have not only the mobile industry doing it, but that they're aided by other you know fixed broadband providers, fixed wireless access companies, but then more broadly, industry, you know, industrial players, enterprises, everybody is enabled to deploy footprint and then we federate those via roaming relationships, if you will. That's the 5G vision as I see it. The conversation, of course, is around 5G, but CBRS is currently happening in the 4G LTE band. Is there fluidity into the 5G domain? Oh, it is, absolutely. I mean, so the development that has really gone on up till now, I would say, has been focused on LTE-based technologies in the CBRS band, uh, simply because of the equipment availability, right? So, I mean, there's a well-established ecosystem of LTE chipsets and handsets and infrastructure equipment for the this frequency range because of band 42 and band 43, you know, having been globally available for a number of years now. Uh, that said, certainly with the 3.4 to 3.8 being pioneered band 4, 5G in Europe and and much of Asia. The Alliance is well aware of this, and we've actually begun a whole work stream around 5G NR operations in the CBRS band and how we will accommodate LTE NR coexistence, for for instance, is one issue. So, no, we're, we're quite comfortable that. We want to have the evolution available for our customers so that they can deploy today with LTE and then have a smooth transition into 5G. The range of potential use cases in CBRS seems vast. But realistically, will everyone want to be their own service provider? It's a very good question, and I think I, I think as, as we approach this, I mean, Ruckus is, and now I'm putting my Ruckus hat on for a moment, our heritage is in the enterprise, you know, IT space, more on the Wi-Fi side, also carrier Wi-Fi as well. And when you start having conversations with some of those customers about LTE solutions or 5G NR solutions, you start throwing acronyms out about MMEs and PGWs and, and these sorts of things, and their eyes glaze over. So, yes, there is a certain amount of, of simplification. I would say, an abstraction and, and maybe even cloudification in delivering some of this as a, uh, a solution, a cloud-based solution for them. A management package, which could include EDC services. There is a SaaS service component with uh, with CBRS, which is a given, and that is a cloud function, if you will. So, you know, now providing the you know, LTE core or potentially the, uh, the NR core going forward, it all makes sense. And linking back to the previous discussion, if you then start talking about leveraging these footprints that may be deployed by an enterprise or stadium or hospital for mobile subscriber coverage, then that that presupposes there is some linkage back to the the mobile operators, obviously. So there's going to be another cloud service, which would probably be the intermediation back to the home operators. Our traditional enterprise is going to be able to tackle the complexities of cellular-based technologies. I think there's a range there. I think that you have some very large enterprises which have very sophisticated uh, IT departments who, frankly, may have already got cellular solutions deployed today, so they understand how to administer a core. You've got the other end of the spectrum, you know, smaller uh, shops, which may already even outsource their Wi-Fi deployments, you know. So I think they will be looking for, you know, somebody to manage that for them. And and I think, again, that's kind of goes back to cloud management models where perhaps it's just a simple dashboard and they can add access points and, and add SIMs to a subscriber management system. And that's all that they have to 
to do is handle identity and, and sort of the physical deployment. But I think there's also going to be a huge role for, again, go back to the tower companies, the neutral hosts, and then probably even a new generation of systems integrators who will focus on, on these uh, delivering cellular solutions to the enterprise and to industry. Can the CBRS practices and technologies be carried over and be internationalized? Let me start off by saying CBRS, in terms of the specific specific sharing paradigms, the tier, tiering structure is very specific to the band in the U.S. You know, with the, the military radar incumbencies, that, that creates a whole set of requirements that uh, that are unique to our situation. So that said, I have I travel globally, as I know you do, and, and I get questions all the time from regulators about what we're doing with CBRS and, and whether it may or may not be applicable to certain bands that they are looking uh, to open up. Um, potentially, we're you know they have incumbencies which require you know some some sort of sharing paradigm you know they want to know about the the specific inputs to the propagation modeling the protection contours but then also just, you know, the, the tremendous work that's gone on not only within CBS Alliance, but even more foundationally at the Wireless Innovation Forum. And Wireless Innovation Forum, or Wind Forum, has, has done all the ground, uh, you know, sort of the groundwork in terms of the operationalization of the framework. How do the geolocation databases, or spectrum access systems as they're known, you know, how do those communicate to the RAN? Um, so how do the, uh, the small cells register into the database, provide the location information, uh, request spectrum grants you know how do they validate that they have a right to the exclusive use tier if they're operating at the pal tier they actually have to provide attestation that that they are the license holder in the specific geography so to the extent that that a regulator may want to implement something that has any of those characteristics i think that the work that has been done both in WinForum and cbrs alliance is quite applicable and and it would be good that uh, we leverage that to the extent possible so that we um as a vendor don't have to go and support, you know, 18 different protocol interfaces, but we have more of a standardized protocol interface, even though the sharing particulars might vary by country. And of course, this plays into the idea that you're not reinventing the wheel by developing separate technologies. One of the the real benefits of operating in this particular frequency range is that it has been a globally established TDD, you know, initially LTE and now 5G band in many parts of the world. I mean, well, it was globally established by 3GPP, but it's been deployed in many areas of the world uh, for a number of years. So, you know, band 42 devices, really Japan drove a lot of that when the operators there deployed the band a few few summers ago. So, yes, we're, we're leveraging all of that. And I think that it's, it's very hard to try to do something innovative and to create a hardware ecosystem around a frequency range where one doesn't exist. So we're only trying to do the innovative part. We're not trying to create uh, a whole hardware ecosystem. It largely exists. And what we're seeing is people now adapting, you know, their band 42 and band 43 devices to support band 48, which again is the CBRS band for 3GPP. And that's that's hugely important. And frankly, that's one of the reasons that when I talk to regulators abroad, I tend to encourage them to look at opportunities in the 3.4 to 3.8 range. And it may not be even a a dynamic um, sharing approach. It may be a local licensing approach like many of the European regulators are are taking on. Uh, So, you know, Holland has had that opportunity for a number of years, and they have some 
very compelling deployments at Port of Rotterdam, Schiphol Airport, etc. Benetza, Germany, you know, opening up 37 to 38 uh, for industrial uses. PTS Sweden looks to be following suit. Austria is in the wings and uh, with a local licensing approach. And then Ofcom, of course, has is, is, uh, got a, a very innovative consultation open on 3.8 to 4.2, um, which has a lot of similar characteristics to CBRS, I will say. So they've got a, a low power and a medium power proposal, which is very analogous to the category A and category B small cells that we have in CBRS. Ofcom is proposing they would start with a what I would consider more of a manual coordination approach, but they're also very interested in looking at how to evolve that into a, a dynamic approach. And, and and I will say, you know, these are the kind of regulators that are asking us about, you know, well, can we reutilize some of the protocol interfaces and other aspects of what you've done with CBRS? What are we to expect in the next 18 months? The market is very dynamic, isn't it? Oh, well, uh, yeah, not even 18 months. I mean, so we are on the verge of the commercial uh, deployments in the U.S. I I mentioned uh, yesterday during my presentation that the FCC began authorizing the equipment back in September of last year. So we've got FCC-authorized small cell infrastructure equipment. Uh, They began authorizing the client devices in December, and now we have a a good range of client support out there, and it's growing by the, the day and by the week. So that includes everything from IoT modules, security cameras, barcode scanners to ruggedized interfaces for vehicles and things like this, but also more consumer electronic devices. So there are a a number of handsets that have been announced in the last two months uh, that have been authorized in the last two months. I shouldn't say announced because some of them are are waiting until the commercial service is activated before they announce. But we we have three flagship handsets with uh, Band 48 CBRS support today and more are coming. We have LTE modules for laptop computers. We have residential CPE devices. So the client ecosystem is coming along very nicely again just from December, so three months. And then what we are waiting for is the final sign-offs on the SASs, so the databases themselves. They have been in testing now really since the, call it November time frame. It, the test process started back in May of 2018. The, the actual lab testing began in, at the, towards the end of November. We expect that will complete and call it the May time frame. And then there's a review period where the, uh, the reports from the SAS tests will be reviewed by the FCC, the NTIA, and by DOD. And our expectation is that we'll see the, uh, the initial commercial deployments in the band uh, towards the end of Q2. Dave Wright, thank you very much. Thank you, Steve. It was my pleasure. That's it from Smart Pacific. Show notes are available on the PTC website at ptc.org. Check them out. Thanks for listening. PTC is the premier global nonprofit membership organization promoting ICT in the Pacific Rim. Get involved in the world's most dynamic ICT region. Join PTC today. Participate in PTC seminars and conferences. Engage in PTC research programs. Make web contributions to PTC outreach. Share our dialogue and these PTC podcasts. Help us by rating them on iTunes. For more information about what PTC can do for you, see ptc.org.